0: Let Him Go Barefoot is a podcast that dives into all things parenting and education through the lens of mindful awareness. Conversations aim to bring forward patterns, beliefs, and attitudes that shape our expectations and ideas about what it means to raise healthy children. With a blend of science, ancient wisdom, and intuition, we will explore ways to support, nurture, and connect with our growing children while also nurturing and expanding ourselves. I am grateful you are here. Hello, Jason Cantor. Thank you for agreeing to come on to the Let Them Go Barefoot podcast. I'm so grateful that we have an opportunity to talk about your coaching and working with homeschooled students and your past and and your history and kind of how you got to this point. And I appreciate your reels too, they're very direct and informative, and I believe that people listening to this podcast will find them interesting and helpful as well, whether they're homeschooling or not, because you talk about how you can communicate with teens and support parents as they're supporting their kids wherever they are on their learning journey. So thank you for being here.
1: Of course. And I'm glad to hear that they're direct because... You know, sometimes I'll film them and I'll feel like I'm rambling and getting nowhere. <laughs> so I'm happy to hear that they're actually helpful.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I've made reels before and mm-hmm. I've been like, how has three hours gone by? This is like two seconds worth of information. Why is it taking so long? So I get it. It, it take, it's an There's an art form to it.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it's a long 90 seconds. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's definitely not as easy as it looks to talk to the camera, right? It's very... It's just hard. It's a, there's a learning curve, and I and I have made fun of like YouTubers and stuff for for years, and now that. I film myself, I take it all back, and I get it. <laughs>
0: well, isn't that the way it. Isn't that the way life is? Like, the minute you start Always. doing whatever somebody else is doing, then it's kind of like that armchair quarterback type thing. <laughs> 100%.
1: Um, so,
0: if you will, just kind of walk us through yeah. how you got to where you are. I know you're in New York. You said you were in mm-hmm. Queens. Um, And so, you know, let, let's just kind of start from the beginning, if that's all right with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, basically, I actually never wanted to be a teacher or – I didn't start out thinking I would do anything like this. I, I never even really knew what homeschooling was or any, anything that I do now. Right. So when I was a senior in high school, I didn't think I was going to go to college. I wanted to be a professional skateboarder, actually. And I just thought I would kind of bum around the world to a certain extent because I didn't want to like a nine to five job. And I just had no vision of what I would do when I was older. I... Hated it in the moment, but I'm so happy now. My mom really pushed me to go to college, and I'm so grateful that she, you know, got me to do something because I went to college. I went away for two years, came home because I sort of had an existential breakdown because I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was just studying general business, and I'm like, what does that mean? I'm so lost. I felt like, you know, as most young adults do. So then I switched my career to being a doctor, actually, because I'm really, really into, you know, physical training and just medicine and sports and stuff. So I was like, okay, maybe a doctor will work. Found out it's like, you know, 16 years of schooling or whatever. That sounded horrible. Had another sort of existential breakdown. And then my whole life, everyone had been telling me to be a teacher. They're like, you're super empathetic. You know, you've struggled so much in school and now you have kind of figured out how to get by, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you should try to be a teacher. And I'm like a teacher who in their right mind would ever want to be a public school teacher, especially in New York City. Right. But I deep down, I I knew that they were right. So I got this job that I found on Craigslist of all places at um, it's like a half tutoring center, half private school. Some of the kids there are part of their private school program. Some of the kids just go for tutoring. But if you're a teacher there, you work with everyone. And it was teaching kids reading fundamentals And I'm like, well, if I want to be a teacher, let me just see what it's like. And little did I know that this would be a school for kids who have dyslexia, ADHD, you know, Down syndrome, autism, all the neurodivergency type of stuff. And it totally opened my eyes that education is amazing. And I love it so much. And it was all working one on one. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is how I feel like education should be. One-on-one, you know, you had your personal bonds with the students, and they would pair teachers with the students that they got along best with, and I'm like, this is the way to do it, right? A classroom of 40 just can't be it, and then I was working there. I finished up my bachelor's. I was getting my master's, and one of the kids that I started working there, I uh, was working there with, his dad had approached me. This is right when COVID hit. And he's like, hey, I want you to tutor my son. I'm not sending him to this school anymore. And I was on the fence because I'm like, I'm going to get fired if they find out. I'm like, but you know what? Whatever. It is what it is. My gut told me to go for it. And then through a weird series of events, that led me to homeschooling him full time, which I'm doing currently. He's on his, he should be graduating next June. And then just weird universal coincidences. One of my friends, when I was getting my master's degree had a family friend who was also looking for a homeschool teacher happened all at the same time it was so serendipitous and I have not looked back since so sort of that experience like homeschooling both of them and seeing that that was an opportunity sort of just led me to continue trying to pursue it further and here we are so that's like the short end of it Uh, you know That's kind of, that's kind of how I got here. Well,
0: And I appreciate the fact that you had some time where you learned who you are and what worked and what didn't Mm -hmm. work. And it sounds like there was that time where you felt like you had to go to college because that's what everybody else is doing. And then you mm-hmm. had to choose a degree that sounded like it might be financially lucrative or helpful at some point, but you were <laughs> measurable, oh, yeah. you know, and, and so you did a lot of the you were trying to check a lot of the boxes that, that people tend to do and not really digging deep to mm-hmm. figure out who they are, what they want. So the fact that you've gone through that, I'm sure gives you perspective and insight that can really motivate you and help, help you work with the kids that you are working with.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was a horrible student growing up, you know, I, I really didn't get it together until I came back home to, and, and went to college and I transferred to a local school. Uh, up until that point, really, I just never cared, right? I, cause I, I saw no, I didn't see myself like, like goals down the line, right? Like I just, when you're just in school for business, but you don't really have like a goal in mind, like what was, what did that, what would that look like? You know, mm-hmm. was I going to be owning a business? Was I going to be on Wall Street? Something like that. You know, you just don't really have any drive, and it didn't make me happy. So I kind of just, you know, did did whatever and did the bare minimum to get by. And uh, yeah. you know, in- interestingly enough, I've worked with so many dyslexics at this point. I actually think I have undiagnosed dyslexia because I share so many of the symptoms that the dyslexic kids have, and I just don't think my parents knew to get me tested. Mm. So, I think that added to my uh, you know, struggles in school growing up because I was always told I was lazy and unmotivated and I couldn't do x y or z, but I always knew I I was intelligent on the inside, right? And I think, you know, it's definitely helped me help the kids I work with now because it seems to be basically the biggest issue that they struggle with is sort of like a lack of motivation, lack of drive and kind of not knowing what the future holds and it being very scary and hard to wrap their heads around. Well,
0: and so when you were working for the private school that also was doing the tutoring, Mm -hmm. were they set up in such a way that allowed you to be really flexible with the way that you were teaching them? Or did they have a curriculum that you had to follow? Or were you able to kind of start um, personalizing things then?
1: Yeah, no, they were as rigid as you could possibly be. Really? They, They had a whole script and the way you were supposed to speak, and they would literally monitor you and you know, give you like progress updates and reports and stuff based on are you following like to the T the exact words and phrasing of sentences they wanted you to use. Wow. And I did not listen. Oh. To because,
0: <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> know,
1: <laughs> it's not that I'm against rules. I'm I'm against ridiculous rules, right? right? And not every kid responds. To a cookie cutter script and especially with the older kids they, they they pick up on that right you can get away with it with like a five or six year old they, they don't pick up on that and, and oh, some no. do let me not downplay them but you know when you'd work with like a 16 year old and everyone is talking the same way they they would call us out and they'd be like why does it sound so robotic why you have no personality and i quickly just realized you know you you can't do that right you can't speak to everybody the same way and you can't just give everybody the same exact type of, you know, instruction and delivery. Their 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 methods were amazing. They're really good at helping kids learn to read, right? And I use a lot of their the stuff that they taught me to this day. But the way they go about interacting with students is just not great, in my opinion. And I think that's more than half the battle, right? You got to build rapport with oh, kids. Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, and and, and you know what. I- I find that to be the case even as a parent with, with my children. You you have to build that trust and that um, mm-hmm. the fact that you're on their team and you're on their side. And even when things get challenging, they need to know that you're going to be there no matter what. And I think that's the case when you're working mm-hmm. with kids as a tutor, a teacher, or some other kind of mentor. Now that you're with the one kid that you started right before the pandemic and then you picked up a second kid, so you're currently full-time Uh, tutoring or homeschooling two kids is that correct?
1: Uh, So one of them graduated in January so I was working with him for two years he graduated and he's in college now and then the one that I work with in the mornings I've been working with him since the eighth grade so we did eighth grade ninth grade now we're doing tenth and he's set to graduate next June a year early and uh, college is not in his future and then Aside from that, I didn't mention this before when I was kind of giving you my backstory. Also at the private school, I met another kid there who um, that's a whole weird story in and of itself. But him and I had really, really good rapport. He was kind of the first kid I broke the rules with and spoke to him in a different way. And after working with him there for about two years, he had um, approached me also and was like, look, I, I see a psychologist and I see this what they call an executive functions coach. I'd never heard of that. And he's like, I want you to be the next executive functions coach for me. And I'm like, yeah, I had no idea what that was. But I'm very like, I'll take it as it comes and figure it out along the way. And he gave my information to the psychologist. Her and I spoke multiple times. And, you know, I was totally not um, qualified for the job. But she took a chance on me because him and I's rapport was so good. And i uh, been working under her for like the last six years alongside this whole like homeschooling and teaching journey. So like I do the one homeschool student in the morning and then all throughout the afternoons, I uh, have these executive function students through her.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so, that's, that's something that's done around here too. And I used to work for a private school that was sure. set up for kids with learning disabilities and ADHD. And mm-hmm. um, that was part of the curriculum was to ensure that we were helping them stay organized and think and plan and execute the plans because it's not that the kids don't have the ability and the the intelligence it's that the the ability to to um to do the action it's it's there it's just the connection between like okay now i have all this information what am i supposed to do with it it's fascinating (laughs) right yeah it is well, and so talk to us a little bit about your particular, you, know, you said you struggled in school or didn't mm-hmm. enjoy it. Did you notice then um, as you got a little bit older, that things started to come a little bit easier for you? Or was it you still needed to co- needed to go to college and have those, as you said, the existential crisis to, to <laughs> understand where you were going and what you were doing?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I have an interesting like dichotomy with my parents. My dad, he went to uh, art school and he became, you know, an artist and he had his own business for many years. And he's very, I call him like a hippie. Basically, he's very free spirited, type B type, you know, personality. My mom is super traditional. You know, you got to go to college. You have to get a good job. So you make money, blah, blah, blah. So growing up, I had sort of opposing sides where my dad always pushed me to pursue my, you know, my passions and the art and stuff. because That's what he loved. And then my mom was always like, that's great and always like a hobby. But when it comes down to making money, you know, you're not going to get lucky like your dad. And that's a whole other thing to unpack. But she's like, I just want to make sure that, you know, you don't struggle when you get older and you're on the right path. And that's just because, you know, she, both, both my parents grew up, you know, poor. So she wanted to just make sure that I didn't have to experience what she experienced growing up type of thing. So I give her credit and she had great intentions, but, you know from an early age, it just, school was just not my thing. You know, like I exhibited intelligence in other areas like arts and music and, you know, building and stuff like that. But when it came time to like a math test, I just couldn't do it. Right. I'm horrible at memorizing. I get really bad test anxiety. So I was always like the, he's got to work harder type of kid. He's, you know, he's great socially and emotionally, but he just doesn't try hard enough academically. But at home, I would study hours and hours, right? My mom would force me to study. And I and I wanted to do well because I have an older sister. She's two years older than me. She's like the superstar achiever, you know, I fouled Victorian, she's a lawyer, very uh successful academically. So my mom, she didn't realize it, but was would compare the two of us, you know, like why can't you be like her? You know, she studies so good and does so well in her tests. So I kind of rebelled a lot in my high school and early college days, because I was just tired of trying to be put into a system that I didn't clearly fit in. And then I just kind of accepted it and bit the bullet one day. And I was like, well, this is life and I have to do this. So I got my, you know, nine to five teaching job or whatever. And I'm like, I guess this is what everyone does. Right. And if maybe if you're lucky or born into wealth, you can live another life, but that's not me. So I'm doomed to a regular existence. And then I started to realize that, You know, there are way more different types of intelligence out there. And, you know, as I started to learn more about education and learning and it totally altered my perspective. So I guess to answer your question, all the way up until I got to college, I did horrible. And then when I got to college, because it's a little bit more self-paced, right? You don't have people breathing down your neck. Yeah, you have assignments to hand in and whatnot, but there's a little bit more flexibility. I felt like the room for me to breathe really helped where like for the first time in my educational life, my mom wasn't in charge of everything. She didn't have access to my grades. And, you know, it was very much so self-directed where I knew that if I didn't do well and I didn't study, I would do poorly. It wasn't like my mom was pushing me. So I felt like I really needed that freedom to find myself. And I I think it really helped. And, you know, it's so weird to think back to like at 17, I never read a book in my life. And now at, you know, almost 27, I read a book a month, if not more, right? And I just love reading and learning. So yeah, to answer your question, I found myself due to my independence later on.
0: Yeah, well, what you just said is such a, A beautiful message to all the parents listening who have younger children or maybe even teenagers and they feel like they're never going to pick up a book i mean you're a great example of somebody who struggled in the system the way the system is set up it it's not set up to match you and so i call that environmental mismatch Mm -hmm. and we put a lot of children in the same environment and expect them to operate the same and we know kids are so uniquely different Mm -hmm. and a good another example you bring up is the comparison between your sister and you and parents just accidentally, it's a, so, so many times they don't mean to, yeah. but they see something and it's working for one. And so they can't understand why it's not working for another. And it's not a fault in the system. It's not a fault in the person. It's a fault in the system that they're in or the environment that they're in. And yeah. and yet we only have one type of environment when it comes to school. It's set up very left brain. It's very yeah. orderly. It's not really for the free flowy creative types. It's more for the ones who can follow the rules do things in order, check the boxes and feel very gratified in doing so. Mm-hmm. For everybody else, it's like, okay, hope you can catch up. And if you can't, <laughs> here's an IEP and maybe that'll work. And so it sounds to me like you were a great example of, a, of somebody who just needed a different environment. And then when you finally got that freedom and flexibility, the motivation was there. You were able to find it yourself. You needed that intrinsic motivation where everything else was coming from the outside. Mm-hmm thank you for sharing that because a lot of people of might hear your story and realize, Hey, I, maybe I need to back off my kid a little bit and, and realize that it's not that they don't care. Mm-hmm. It's that they just need their own space. So as far as working with the kids and the executive function and are all of them homeschooled or are they a mixture?
1: So one of them is homeschooled aside from the one I work with like full time. The rest are in either some sort of public school or private school in in New York City. So I definitely have seen, you know, very wealthy people and very prestigious private schools in New York City. And then I've worked, you know, with kids in some of the worst schools in New York City as well. So I I definitely get a range, like socioeconomically. And it's definitely amazing. I, I love getting both perspectives and everything in between. So typically with just the executive functions ones you know like a parent will see that their kid needs help organizing doing all that and then slowly it generally turns into like they need school help and then there's some aspect of you know mentoring guiding it's never just they can't organize right and I'm sure you know this and you've seen this a million times over it's never just as black and white as there's one area that needs help right everything's so interconnected and education is just this kind of you know, beautiful interplay of like so many different aspects of our, of just our life. And you can't just sort of fix one thing in a vacuum I've noticed. So yeah, to answer your question, I keep going on these. No, tangents. no, you um, great. It's great. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's supposed to be on paper, just executive functions help, but it always ends up being so much more than that.
0: Yeah. I can imagine. And the fact that you're able to individualize so much, and you have some freedom; you don't have the script that you have to follow. I think that that really plays into oh, it, yeah. you know on your um, on your reels and on your page. You mentioned that there are four main areas: mind, body, soul, mm-hmm. and passions. So, can you explain <laughs> yeah. to us kind of how you got there with, sure. with those categories? and And also, just sort what what does that look like in your interaction with kids? Yeah. Do you sit down and say to them, "Hey, we're going to do these four areas," or or does it kind of just mix and match in, into your plan?
1: totally so it i'll give credit where credit's due the the boy at home school in the mornings his dad and i have developed a really close relationship as you would imagine you know i spend so much time with his son him and i are very close mm-hmm. after about actually like up until january of this year uh you know his dad had just been like observing what we do and very supportive and doing whatever he can to support his son's educational journey and in january or so when I really started taking like the social media stuff seriously, he approached me and he's like, look, he's like, what what you're doing is a holistic approach to education. And basically, he just described what I, I guess, I didn't even realize I was doing this, but my approach to helping his son was, you know, hitting these four areas, right? Mind is your traditional school subjects. And since his son was is dyslexic, you know, we spent a lot of time on literacy fundamentals, picking you know, making sure he can do that well. And then body, you know, you got to have a healthy body to have a healthy mind. You got to be active Mm -hmm. and, you know, your body has to be worked just as much as your mind. So we value physical activity just as much. And then you have your soul, your spirit is, you know, your confidence, your self-esteem, all that sort of stuff, you know, where it's like dealing with emotions and just being in tune with that side. And I think Mm -hmm. especially for boys, you know, it's not as talked about right? So I definitely make sure that that's an area we work on. And then passions is kind of like what we were talking about before, you know, kids have to be engaged in things that they actually enjoy, right? Stuff that they set goals in and they want to work hard at, right? Things they actually love doing. It can't just be, you know, learning about chemistry or something like that's important to a certain extent. And I'm not a complete, you know, basher of traditional education, I think there are definitely great benefits to it, but you need passions as well, right? You have to have kids understand that they can work at something they love and they can build it and turn it into anything, whether it's a career or just a hobby. It doesn't matter, but I think that's a big aspect missing from the traditional school is that all learning is just focused and associated with tests and what you learn in school and there's nothing else. So I try my best to... You know, have these four pillars because I think that's sort of a complete person, right? We have our our learning, our brain, our regular sort of studying. We have our body, right? I think we move, we exercise, we do physical activity, right? We all have our emotions, our confidence, our self-esteem, and then we all have things we love, passions, and hobbies, right? So I think that kind of is what makes us complete, and I think education should touch on every single one of those. That's kind of my philosophy in an in that's and great.
0: Well, and it made me think too about the fact that you loved medicine and, and wanted to go into medical school, because to me, that's mm-hmm. like bringing in that body aspect. And then the yeah. the passion part, which, you know, it kind of sounds like your dad, where it's like, go, go with something that lights you up and that you really enjoy doing and could be creative. It could be, I mean, it could be something like mm-hmm. hiking and, you know, and hitting all the national parks or something, you know, I mean, anything totally. that, that really just makes you feel excited about getting out of bed every day. But the other part of what I like about that is that it's it as you said, it's the full person because in schools we disembody kids. We we say mm-hmm. leave all your emotions at the front door and come in here and we're gonna pour all this information into your head. But we know yeah. I mean just basic human <laughs> understanding 101 yeah. is if you're upset about something or if last night your parents got a, in a terrible fight and your dad stormed out mm-hmm. the last thing you're going to do is walk into your math class and be like give me some math you know you're not you don't care yeah and so no, when you don't. when our schools are set up in such a way that it it really is about the academics and we have to get you through these specific Curricula that we we've created, and and forget about everything else. Deal with that at the psychologist's office or at the therapist, or go see. You know, it's it's really it's really (laughs) disembodied, and that's why I do think, as you as you found out really early on, working one on one with kids allows you to see them, really see them, and then it also allows you to change and structure and and move things around Mm -hmm. and shift as needed. And then I also love that the kids called you out <laughs> because they know, don't they? they? They really can sense when you're being genuine. and
1: uh, Oh, and, yeah. And yeah, I, I think, you know, everyone talks about, you know, it's impossible to scale, you know, one-on-one education to, like, the massive level of public schools. And that's a whole, you know, argument in and of itself. I think we totally could. And I think we have to try because, like you just said, we're going to have off days, you know, not everyone's family life is peachy. No one's family life is peachy. You know, it's going to be, and you're just going to be, have bad days and you're going to have periods, you know, cycles, weeks or months where you need something different and you have to adapt. And in a class of 40 or 30, you know, you just don't get that opportunity. There's just one type and it doesn't fit anyone perfectly. And I think every kid should get the opportunity to have an education where you know it, it it kind of like changes and goes with them and their needs right and that's difficult of course but i don't see why it's not something we we try our best to do you know because it, it really is the way that kids unlock their biggest you know unlock their potential essentially
0: mm-hmm. well and it's as if um, all the developmental psychology and the science that we know about how brains work goes out the window. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, we don't, we're not going to use all that. But it's too much. <laughs> we can't we can't establish yeah. our schools this way. And you know, it's not, it's there's plenty of teachers who would love to do it that way. I know I was one and I was lucky enough that when I was in the classroom setting, I had um, I worked with the special needs population. So I either worked mm-hmm. with kids who were considered below grade level who needed a little bit more assistance. So I got to pull them out of their classes and work in these small groups. And we had a blast together and I also got to take kids who were I'm like sure. a year or two ahead in math and bring them out. So I got the, the, the benefit nice. of really getting to know the kids and creating activities that were fun and engaging and that they wanted to do. Cause you know, it made them feel special. They were like, Hey, we get to leave school of and work with you one-on-one or in a small group and play games. Of course <laughs> I want to do that. And, and, yeah, that sounds So amazing. that was kind of a turning point for me while I was working in the schools. It was like, look how much better these kids are doing than when you go into the yeah. classroom setting and they get lost in the shuffle. It just, it happens. So so talk to us then about, um, you mentioned the, the male aspect earlier and mm-hmm. with boys. And um, are you noticing that there's an increased need for mentorship for boys? Or did you notice that when you were working in the private school or, you know, where, what's, Hmm. what's your insight there?
1: Yeah, I think there is an incredible need, uh, being in New York city, right? I'm in arguably the biggest city in the world. And the interesting thing about this private school is it was prohibitively expensive and catered to, it was so strange. You had very wealthy people who could pay to send their kids there. And then you had families that won lawsuits against the new york city department of education Mm. who then got contracts to send their kids there i don't know the full details around that but you got a lot of very poor inner city kids there i'm not entirely sure how all of them came there but i think that's 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 how that's how they did it so i would see i remember this one kid is i'll never forget him his dad had been in and out of jail his whole life Mm. and he had no male mentorship And he was the kid that everyone hated working with the most. And I loved working with him Mm -hmm. because he was rough and aggressive and rowdy. And I knew he just needed like some tough love and someone who believed in him. And I remember on his last day, he, him and I, uh, you know, we finished our session and that was that. And he looks at me and he's just like, so now what do you just leave? And I never get to see you again. And I hadn't thought about it. And he's like. (laughs) And he turns to me. He's thirteen years old, and he says, "It's just like every other, you know, man in my life. They just come and they go." <gasps> and he just left crying. And I kid you not, on my hour and a half commute home, I just could not stop crying. Also, oh, I'm like, God. I'm like, this is horrible, right? Here's a kid, and there were so many there like that, right? I, I could I could give you a hundred stories like this. So yeah, there's an immense need, and those kids don't don't get it because, you know, they're poor and they, they obviously can't afford a service like that even if it was even you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like they just can't afford anything extra mm-hmm. and then interestingly enough since I had this dichotomy of very poor and very wealthy the, the kid who introduced me to the clinical psychologist he came from a you know mom and dad home but he had such a rough relationship with his dad that he was basically I don't want to say fatherless but there, there was such a distance between him and his dad that, you know, he didn't speak to his parents for, you know, years on, you know, so mm. even very wealthy people, even if you have two people at home, it could be as if you don't have anyone there. Mm-hmm. Right. So they need they need some some guidance. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent yet, so I, I tread lightly on trying to give parenting advice, which is kind of why I don't talk about that at all, because I think you can't give parenting advice until you're a parent yourself and you've experienced it. So I would never want to tell anybody how or what to do. I can only reflect on what I observe and I'm trying to be as objective as possible, but it seems like, you know, some people just struggle and I'll leave it at that. And even if you have both parents at home, you know, kids can still grow up, you know, cutting school, skipping, doing drugs and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I've kind of seen it all. And, you know, I do think I I may, I mean, I, I work with, you know, girls as well, a lot less than I do boys. And it's, it's much different relationship. When I work with a girl, it's just tends to not be as one. I don't know what, what's the word to use is it's, I just don't develop as deep of a bond. Mm. I've just noticed, I'm not sure why that is, but at least when I work with the, like the guys, it's, yeah, there's just a big need for it. Right. Mm -hmm. They just need, you know, the, the, the young men all seem motivationless and just nervous about the future. Right. You know?
0: Right. Well, and I think too, that we've lost a lot of male teachers in our Mm -hmm. lower grades. And, you know, if, if you, as, as you go up in the schools, you tend to have more male teachers starting in middle school and then probably the most are in upper school. But I think that middle, that the, the earlier grades having that male perspective is so important. And if kids are in schools day in and day out, not being around, that male energy, I think it, it makes a difference. And like I said earlier, schools are set up very left brained And, mm-hmm. um, I work, uh, I don't know if you've um, heard of Cindy Gaddis, but she and I worked together and uh, offered a couple of gatherings around the whole right brain dominant learner.
1: Sure.
0: And she's written a book about it. And that was one of the pieces that she talked about was that when you think about the difference between a female teacher and a male teacher, why do you think, a lot of people gravitate towards the male teacher because they tend to have that very creative, not Mm -hmm. necessarily an orderly. I mean, it's not that they don't have order. I don't want to make it sound like they're all chaotic, but there's a fun element (laughs) to it. You know, there's just a fun element to it. It's kind of like a, we're going to get down on the ground and really play and Mm -hmm. take things apart and look at stuff. And, and it doesn't have to, it can be dirty and messy. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. completely clean and orderly. And I'm not saying that, female teachers don't do that too, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just,
1: I, I know what you mean. Yeah.
0: And so there is a, there is a kind of a noticeable energy difference. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's interesting that you're, you're noticing that as well with your you know, male students and female students.
1: One, one thing you said there uh, when I was working at, I worked at Starbucks when I was in a uh, beginning in college. And I remember when I made the decision to, to pursue education right before I got my job at the private school, I was at starbucks and somebody came through the drive-through and it was a teacher and they asked me what i wanted to do and you know i told them and they're like oh so what do you want to teach and i was like high school english and she scoffed at me she was like oh just be like an elementary school teacher she's like you'll get hired anywhere you want with ease (laughs) and i'm like what do you mean she's like go home and look it up look up the difference between male and female Mm -hmm. elementary school teachers Mm -hmm. and i didn't realize there was such a disparity And she's like, you're actually going to have a harder time finding a job as a male high school teacher, especially English, because they dominate that side. She's like, if you really want a job in any school you want, you know, with no problem, just switch to elementary school. And I, I, you know, I thought it was I I just never knew that. You know, I never thought to even think about that. And then I thought back to my elementary school days and I didn't have one male teacher as an elementary school teacher. They were all female, which is great. You know, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It's just an interesting observation. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, but it, it does set up things differently. And I, Mm -hmm. and I noticed, you know, as a teacher myself, that the boys tended to get, you know, asked to leave class more frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they were the ones that had more of the discipline problems. And, and then of (laughs) course, as time went on and now, you know, um, now they're, they're the ones that tend to be more medicated. And Mm -hmm. so to me, that doesn't seem to indicate that there's, um, that the boys are struggling, it, it, they are struggling, but it doesn't mean that they're broken or necessarily the ones that need to be quote, quote, unquote fixed. It's the system that they're in. So, you know, yeah. we, we keep like, the, the whole like, um, round peg in a square hole or square peg in a round hole or whatever, you know, yeah. like that whole idea that w- it was like, we just have to keep throwing things at them and asking them to change instead of the environments that they're in. Um, yeah.
1: I think that's just so ridiculous, in my opinion, to yeah. ostracize a an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old for not fitting into one specific system. You know, it's yeah. like if if you decided to go to, you know, try to be a, an, an astronaut and you didn't fit into that, we would say, OK, that's fine. Try something else. Right. But when mm-hmm. it comes to school, it's like, no, you have to do this or you're considered rowdy or a failure or whatever. And it just seems like the like the last beacon of society that's so you know, one size fits all. And it's just the one that needs to change the most. Mm. And it's upsetting to see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, and, you know, you mentioned, too, about what you saw as far as the spectrum of people, whether mm-hmm. they were, you know, from single parent homes or uh, both parents at home. And I, am glad you brought that up because I do think it's important. It's a, it's a myth to think that if you just have this, this, and this, then everything's going to be fine. And we know that whether you have money, we have both parents at home, you know, live in a beautiful house, whatever it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the emotional support that you need or that you're going to get the direction and the guidance and the care that, that you desperately need as a, a, a human being growing up in this world. So now that you've had some years under your belt working with kids one-on-one, what would mm-hmm. you say that ha- have been the biggest turning points for you when you start working with a child and you kind of, you know, if you see that they're struggling, like what had been kind of turning points for them in terms of mm. the things that you teach them and talk to them about? Do you think it's yeah. the academic side or do you think it's that, that mind, body, soul part? I mean, the body, soul part. and the Yeah, passions. yeah
1: i think first and foremost you know most most of the kids i work with just feel like they haven't had someone who's believed in them you know mm-hmm. like for example the kid who, who i talked about before that was his biggest thing was like you're the first person who believed in me you know mm-hmm. and whether or not that's true i don't know if he had other teachers or not but he felt like nobody believed in him right so i, was about I take... to say but he
0: felt you did so exactly yeah. so I, I think
1: that's like the biggest catalyst right is It almost doesn't matter like i'm not going to say you know the cutting edge science and the best practices are not important because they absolutely are but to me what matters most is just relationships Mm -hmm. and if you have a great relationship with the kids you're working with i mean everything else just kind of falls into place right they're going to be more open to learning they're going to be more open to your suggestions they're just going to be more willing to do everything right so for my for me that is like everything is if I don't have a good rapport and, you know, I don't, the kid doesn't want to work and all that stuff is not in place, just nothing else, nothing else matters. Right. And I just think back to all my favorite teachers growing up. I love, like, I just really enjoyed them as people, right. I felt like they weren't robotic. They, they were human, right. They exposed me to not their personality and not their like lifestyle. I don't care what they were doing on Saturday night. Right. I think people get caught up in that. And they get confused it's just more you know they they just acted and treated me like a human being also Mm -hmm. like i wasn't just a test taking machine and i wasn't just there to come in take my test and leave right they actually had some humanity to them and i just think yeah that would be to me the most important thing and just the turning point for everything right Mm -hmm. if i'm working with somebody and we get off on the wrong foot until we reestablish a good relationship and a good rapport, nothing else no, Nothing else matters. Oh, yeah. really.
0: I've I've sensed that. I mean, I've, as a, as a student and as a teacher, I've, mm-hmm. I've had that exact same thing where I was actually um, really sick when I was in the third grade and I had to mm-hmm. um, stay home and sure. uh, actually, well, fourth third or fourth grade now in a blanket. Uh-huh. Like, what year was that? I think it was fourth grade. <laughs> um, and a, a tutor came to my, came to my house and, although I had been a pretty self-directed and easygoing kid in school when made good mm-hmm. grades and always did my schoolwork for whatever reason, when we sat down to do fractions, I completely shut down <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'll never forget yeah. that feeling of like, this is not working. Like I cannot get out of this mindset that I'm in. And so I know what sure. that feels like as a student. And then I've also seen it on the other side with a student doing that with me. And you're right. You mm-hmm. do just have to take a break and pause and say, okay, we've got to start over or start fresh and let's do this again. And so with with mm-hmm. your students, do you sit down with them like how long would you say you know you kind of it takes for you to sort of establish this trust and this rapport and this ability to let them know that you're on their side?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get that question a lot, and I, I give the same answers. Just it really depends on the kid, right? Mm-hmm. So with that kid, it, I've been working with him for two years, and we really didn't develop. I actually. He was like a a monster, right? He would like throw things, spit at me, hit me, like really behaviorally not good. Mm -hmm. And it really was only like the last six months that he started to finally open up and trust me, right? So here's a 13-year-old kid whose dad abandoned him, right? Trust issues like you couldn't imagine. Mm -hmm. I I can't, like people were like, well, why is he not learning? How come your, your rapport is not good with him? I don't know, maybe he's had his whole life of trust issues, right? It's hard to break that in such a short amount of time. So, you know, parents generally ask me that same exact question. And I'm like, I can't tell you, right? It really depends on their level of comfortability, right? What their life experiences have been thus far. You know, typically the first meeting is always awkward, right? Uh, I can only think of a few that were really smooth, you know? But I I would say it takes like a good like month to three months sometimes to like really get into the swing of things, Mm -hmm. you know, and when you, when you're a nervous parent, right. And you want your kid to make changes waiting three months to see results, you know, people can get impatient. And again, I could totally understand that from a parent's perspective, but You know, if I spent three months forcing material on them and trying to get them to change, we're not going to get anywhere Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. spending three months of an investment. I think of it as like an investment where you're building that relationship. To me, that's going to yield much more in the long run. So typically, I'd say anywhere from like four to four weeks minimum. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to gauge, but, you know, at least a couple sessions to, to get like those like entry level you know, worries out of the way and sort of anxieties and whatever else.
0: Yeah. Well, and do you work with them multiple times a week or does it just depend on what the parents want or need?
1: Yeah, it depends on the parents and what they need. Typically it's anywhere from, you know, like one to three or four times a week. Uh, the kid I homeschool, you know, it's three hours a day.
0: Oh, wow. Yes.
1: Four to five days a week. But, you know, that's a very different situation, right? That's not common. But everyone else is... You know at least once a week, but even then, you know how much can you really get done in one hour a week? Mm-hmm. so you know, I don't recommend more because I'm greedy and a money hungry monster by any stretch <laughs> it's It's more like no, you know to build a relationship takes a lot of time, you know, and mm-hmm. it takes effort, and it's just not the most one two three easy breezy thing, so
0: yeah. Well, and I think you're teaching parents something as well. And that is that, you know, we all have fallen prey to this idea that if you just put kids in school, they'll learn and everything will be fine. And we forget that it's not about, it's not just about them regurgitating facts for a test and getting a grade. I Mm -hmm. mean, there is kind of a game that we play. And that is that so many of us have accepted the fact that we do all this stuff in school and we don't necessarily <laughs> need it, but we realize oh, we need yeah. a piece of paper that goes along with it. And that piece of paper has value, whether we really think it has value or not, it has value mm-hmm. to the outside world. And so so we all kind of participate in it, even though kind of deep down we know yeah. it's a miss. And so I imagine that idea and that kind of philosophy definitely carries over to anything new that people mm-hmm. pay for or want. And uh, and so I can yeah, I can see how it would take a little time to sort of break parents in and get them comfortable with the fact that this <laughs> takes time and effort. And, and as you said, yeah. you're making an investment. And this is this is not meant to be that you're going to be there forever and ever for the child. It's more like let's get this kid independent enough yeah. and capable to to utilize this. These skills are working on for for the future and down the line. So what do you think are some things that parents could look out for if they're searching mm-hmm. for someone like you? You know, what are, what are some questions that you would say would be good for them to ask of a tutor or a mentor or someone who says that they actually do help kids with executive function, I mean.
1: Sure, sure. Um, I mean, in, in regards to executive functions, because I was just talking about this earlier today, I think if, if you're looking for someone to teach that and they, they have one method that is good for everyone. I think that's an immediate red flag in my opinion, especially with executive functions, because you know how I organize is probably very different than how you organize, right? Yeah. So who's better? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Both of you both like we, we both go through our days and get what we need to get done. So is the way you organize better than me? No. Right? It's just different. So I think on the executive functions end, if you have some somebody who's like, yeah, I could help your child get organized, I have this one foolproof method. I'm like super skeptical of that, yeah, right? Yeah. Because I think experimentation is a, is key, right? You have to find what works for, you know, your kid. And my mom always told me this growing up was, you know, Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors, yeah. right? There's something for everyone. <laughs> and she always told me that. And I just thought it was one of her silly little momisms, as she called it. But it's so true, right? There is something for everyone. And if I like strawberry, is that better than vanilla? No, it's a preference, right? And I think education can apply similar principles to that Mm -hmm. where you know you just can't have one thing you should have somebody who has multiple things in their arsenal who is willing to try and experiment with many different things right so that would be I think that's true for you know a tutor an executive functions coach right is you want somebody who has many different aspects like many different techniques and is willing and understanding that you have to experiment and there's going to be a trial and error process. And you have to just find the one that works best for the specific child. Um, in terms of like a parent looking for someone to like mentor or guide their child, I think, you know, they have to do like more of a holistic approach also. And I'm totally biased, right? Because I think that approach is, is, is amazing. But, you know, in my opinion, you want someone who's going to help the child obviously do better in school is going to be more prepared for just life in general. Someone who's going to like push a child to, you know, exercise and get physically active because, you know, like we said before, having a strong body is so important, right? And I guess someone who like can develop, you know, emotional regulation and like build confidence. Like I think those are just so important. When a child has confidence, they'll do anything, right? They, they, They won't be nervous to take on the world. So I would say look for someone who can help, a child, build confidence. That is, like, key. You know, that is going to be that's at the center of really anything, in my opinion. When they have confidence, I mean, look at, like, the 10-year-old kids who, like, skateboard and do crazy, you know, action sports. They'll throw their body down anything because <laughs> they have the confidence that they're going to yeah. land it, right? And, and, and we look at them, and we're like, you're crazy. You know, uh, man, what I would kill to be young. Yes, that's part of it. But the other part of it is, like, they don't think they're going to get hurt. They have this, like, delusional belief that they're going to, that they're going to be okay. And I think that just stems from an insane amount of confidence that these, that kids tend to have. And, you know, if every kid can build that level of confidence, well, what can't they do? Right.
0: Yeah. That's a great point too. And I I like the fact that it blends so beautifully with Mm -hmm. with what I love is self-directed education and how powerful it is because when it comes from inside, it really is the sky's the limit. One of the principles, if you will, that I love to, share with parents is mm-hmm. that if there's a will there's a way yeah and when children are motivated and interested and it's coming from within and it's coming from a, an area that they feel like they, they thrive in that they will build confidence so much faster and then that that then once they build confidence in an area you can use that as an example when they are nervous about trying
1: oh yeah to that's a huge you know? thing i believe in too
0: Mm hmm And yeah, it's always using their own personal experiences for their benefit and not against them, but more like, remember how you were so afraid to play the piano? Yep. And then you sat down and you played the piano, and then you actually did a concert (laughs) with the piano. Yeah, yeah. It it really can just translate and transfer so easily for for them in that way. Totally. So how, how do you feel? Well, I mean, if you can um share with us who has inspired you or your way of thinking about education and child development
1: that's a great great question um you know i would say this might be like a cliche answer but i love you know like ancient greek style of education which is small groups you know aside from all the weird aspects that you know a lot of these old philosophers were involved with separating that for a second You know the fact that like young men would spend a lot of time with their teacher right and they would you know a parent would send their kid with a specific philosopher teacher so that they could teach them you know kind of how to learn and all those sort of things i was really inspired with that when i you know took a philosophy class in college and we studied you know like socrates and all those people and how it was very small group education you know kind of helping the child get to the answer on their own by asking the right types of questions. Right. I I really like that. And, you know, I think think the
0: Socratic do you use that? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Big time. I I think that is uh, one of the most effective ways at helping a kid build confidence too, right? If you guide them to the answer and they're answering it on their own, I mean, what better way to make them feel, Mm -hmm. you know, enabled or whatever. Um, I'm definitely new to the, you know, educational, I guess, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the famous teacher people, for lack of a better expression. Um,
0: so, so you I'm, mean I'm like, like, the I don't, John, like John Taylor Gatto? I was going to ask you if you've heard of him because he's a new oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> he was the other one I was going to say. I, I recently discovered his work maybe like six months ago. Oh, wow. And I, okay. and I resonate with most things he says. Yeah, I have a weird, you know, I, I don't want to say that I've picked up everything intuitively, But, you know, I've definitely not studied the greats. Mm -hmm. That's the word I was, the term I was looking for. And I've just been, you know, over the last year, just really diving in and studying them. And I guess I just go a lot from intuition, right? I've learned a lot from the psychologist that I work under. She's amazing. Uh, And, you know, I really just, as weird as this sounds, like I listen to the parents. You know, I spend a lot of time talking to parents, right? Who knows their kid better than the parent? you know? So, and the answer is no one, right? The parent knows their kid the the best. So I frequently talk to parents and before I ever start working with a kid, you know, it's just like hours of talking with parents and learning as much as I can learn about the individual child. Right. So I I think I'm slowly learning more about these educational greats and I have a lot to study. Uh, So I'm catching up for lost time, I guess I should say.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, it sounds like that even though he's a very well-known person, John Taylor Mm -hmm. Gatto and somebody like John Holt, who's written a bunch of books on unschooling uh, and child-led learning. The the truth of the matter is, is they're, they're explaining what natural learning is. And it sounds to me like, because of your experiences, Mm -hmm. you got to that place on your own because of what you went through and you had that intrinsic motivation to do better and to learn. And so you were able to utilize your own personal experiences and then replicate it for the kids that you work with. So now you're just being reinforced by reading his stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's a good way to put it, you know. And, and someone had asked me that a couple months ago. Like another teacher had reached out and was like, hey, where, where did you learn some of this stuff? Like what books do you have recommendations? And I was like, mm-hmm. honestly, not really, you know. I feel like everyone kind of, like like you said before, everyone knows that certain mm-hmm. things are wrong, but they just don't do much about it. Right, and I think you're so right. Like we we intuitively know a lot more than we give off, you know. And because a lot of most people don't want to go against the status quo, and they think, well, no one else has talked against it, so I don't want to be the pariah. And maybe my opinion is crazy and not correct. When in reality, I think a lot more people agree than we think. And if we all would just spoke our mind, I think we'd actually realize that we're more on the same page than not. At least with education, we're just. You know, th- think yeah. we can't make a change, and we don't think it can change or whatever because it's been the same way it's been for so long. Yeah,
0: but the t- it's turning. Change, so, things are changing. People are, are more and more uh, oh yeah. looking up to the idea that they actually can and do. And I know the pandemic certainly mm-hmm. motivated a lot of people to change course. Well, so do you have any any resources that you want to share, or parting words, or calls to action that you would like to offer parents or anybody listening? on how to support and, and i guess i should be more specific on how to support their children wherever they are
1: yeah i think that the two main things that i can i guess leave with is one you said before is you know comparison is really not like whether it's to society to peers to a sibling you know in my experience with the hundreds of kids mm-hmm. i've worked with now the two main ones are like comparison to them either the parents themselves or their sibling it's just never a good thing right? And then validating their feelings and emotions. I, I've come to realize that we often forgot and forget what it was like to be 14 and 16 and 18, right? And now that we're adults <laughs> and we've been through it, we kind of forgot what it was like to be 14 and stubborn and think we have the world figured out, you know? So I think, you know, it's definitely hard sometimes to, to like I don't want to say give a 14 year old credit or a 17 year old credit, but Mm -hmm. you know, you got to validate their feelings to a certain extent, because when we were 17, we thought our parents were being unfair for not hearing it from our side and how quickly the things change once we get older. And that's something I have to remind myself often when I want to be like, you're being ridiculous. Just listen to me. I, I know what's best for you. They don't know that. Right. And they don't have the emotional, you know, regulation experience that we've had growing up and, being an adult and getting older. And I think you know, <laughs> remembering what it's like to be their age and just kind of validating their emotions, even if you don't agree with them, is really helpful for them. And I think it shows that you're more of their ally than not, which helps them actually take you seriously and listen to you in the future. Right. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. So it's like if if they're feeling upset about something, instead of telling them not to be upset, say, well, OK, I hear you're upset. Yeah. I notice you're sad about this or worried about this. Let's walk it through. So instead of, you know, or in, not and in, in, in not validating in the way of like, I'm dumb at math. Yes, <laughs> you are. You're dumb at math. Yeah. You know? like, not that kind of validating, but more, you know, I hear you. I see you. I understand you're going through something but recognizing that it's an opportunity to take a pause and to maybe back off a little bit or give them some space. So,
1: Absolutely. No,
0: I, I definitely agree. I have a 20 year old, almost 21 and, and a 16 oh year old and, you know, it's great. I mean, we've had the best time. We've had the best That's time. Amazing. And I do really owe a lot of that to the fact that, you know, I, I just try to level with them as mm-hmm. much as possible and whenever i'm getting ramped up or a little spun out mm-hmm. they're okay if say mom you're spinning out like, <laughs> just chill chill out please that's good i think <laughs> that know, like i mean i want them to you know because yeah. i don't want them walking around in eggshells with me and worried about my emotional reaction i'm the adult i need to have it together right i need to have my emotions regulated. And, <laughs> yeah and so yeah i'm glad that they can say this is over the top. You don't need to worry about this or you're stressing sure. out or stressing me out.
1: Yeah. That, no, that, that's a so, good relationship to have where you guys can keep one another in check. For sure.
0: So thank you. And also I, I forgot to ask you, do you offer virtual coaching as well? Or is this all individually, like in person?
1: No, it's 50, 50 online in person. You know, I love in person and I just don't think there's any way to replicate that online. But you can also reach people you could never reach online. So I'm obviously, I, you know, I'm open to both. I'd prefer in person, of course, but I'm not against online. I mean, the the boy at homeschool, he lives in upstate New York. So we do online. So, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I said that.
0: It would
1: ridiculous.
0: Well, um, so how can people find you? I mean, I know you have your Instagram page, which is at Coach Jason Cantor with a K, K A N T O R, yep. and I'll of course make sure I include that sure. below in the show notes. So, um, but are there other places where people can find you?
1: Uh, I'd say that's the main one, and then uh, Twitter, which is just at the Jason Cantor. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, those are the two places. I'm working on, I guess, a website now. Good, but okay. for the for the most part, my Instagram and my Twitter are the two places where. I share most of my ideas and, you know, interact with people the most.
0: All right. Well, Jason, thank you. I appreciate you being on here. Of course. I'm excited about sharing this with everybody.
1: (laughs) I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us today. I hope by hearing Jason's story, you can see the benefit of allowing our kids the time and space to explore how they learn and what sparks their curiosity and joy It's also a nice reminder to count all of our children's experiences as part of their learning journey, and as parents, not to get too attached to one outcome or caught up in comparison mode. What works for one may not work for another, and that is okay. If you enjoyed our conversation or found any part of it helpful, please do consider subscribing, sharing, or writing a review. It's a great way to support the podcast, and it allows others to find us. You can also subscribe to my Substack newsletter, which I'll link in the show notes. Outside of Instagram, it is a great way to stay up to date on community gatherings and workshops, as well as long-form essays on education and conscious parenting. As always, stay curious, stay connected, and stay aware. Until next time.